0: Welcome to the Restoration Church podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Um, it's uh, the weekend we celebrate the word. We talk about so much. We talk about Freedom. This is the weekend we talk about freedom. The last several weeks, the last few years, we have seen that our definitions of freedom can be radically different, right? Our understanding of how we understand freedom can bring a wide range of definitions. But if there's a common ground in it, I would say that the Most common understanding of freedom in the American way of life is that freedom necessitates that we remove limitations in order to have more freedom. We may differ on what should or should not be limited, but the prevailing mindset in the American world is that our belief is that less limitations bring more freedom. If we take off those limitations, we will be more free when these limits are removed My freedom is increased. This has always really been the case. This is kind of the American way from the beginning. Back in 1830, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who's one of the most famous American writers, he wrote this about the American way of life. He says, this country is full of rebellion. The country is full of kings. Hands off. Let there be no control and no interference in the administration of this kingdom of me. America was founded on escaping the tyranny of a king, but Emerson points out that just, what, 40 years after the revolution, everyone was a king. Everyone was seeking control. I love that. The administration of this kingdom of me. That's life here in the land of the free. And And yet, as Alicia was talking about last week, freedom doesn't seem very attractive when we are exhausted and weary and tired and anxious and burnt out and on the verge of breakdown. So we're talking about this God who gives us work, but also a God who enters into and gives us rest. Ultimately, we've been having this conversation about work and rest For a month here, because it's a part of this larger truth that we want to enter into today. And as you walk through the scriptures over and over and over again, you continue to see this, that there is actually freedom in our limitations. We see this in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. God makes man and woman in his image. He gives them this identity. He gives them purpose. They're cultivating. They're stewarding creation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And then he gives them this command. He says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Are there limits here? Yes, yes. But this limitation does not appear in the context of scarcity. There are probably hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of trees and plants to eat from. And God says, don't eat from just this one. Just one limitation for the sake of preserving life, not withholding life. And yet, when the serpent arrives in Genesis chapter 3, as we know, to tempt Adam and Eve, he lies. And he lies founded on the belief that God is actually withholding good from you. He's holding back. And if you truly want to flourish in this world, if you truly want to find the fullness of life and thrive, you have to step outside. You have to reject these limitations. He says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice that God, he knows you'll be like him. God knows your eyes will be opened. And the essence of this lie, the essence of sin itself, is that God is withholding good from you. And if God is withholding good from you, you have to be the one to reach out and grab hold of it for yourself. He wants you to believe, Satan, the enemy, he wants you to believe that God is knowingly, intentionally withholding good from your life. And the only way to find identity, the only way to find purpose, is stepping outside of the limitations that he's given you in order to take hold of the good that he refuses to give. From the beginning, that has been the lie. But also from the beginning, we see that God practices what he preaches. After creation, what does God do? The first thing God does is rest. Does God rest from necessity? No. Does God rest because he's grown weary and tired? No, creation is culminating in this moment in in the institution of these life-giving limitations that sustain and even create life. These limitations give life as it is. God is giving us, giving creation, this gift of rest. And in the process, God does not just give a command. He enters into it himself. God enters into Rest. God does not need rest because if God needed rest, he would not be God. But God, in his leadership, in his example, enters into rest to teach, to form creation into who he has made us to be. God intentionally enters Sabbath without needing Sabbath. Not from need, but to model for you and I what flourishing and life actually looks like. Nowhere is this clearer as the story continues than in the incarnation of Jesus. God became flesh. He entered into the limitations of our humanity. Jesus was fully human, like you and me, even being fully God, it did not diminish his humanity. And in his humanity, being fully human, it did not diminish his divinity. Jesus was God, but at the same time, Jesus grew hungry, Jesus was God, but at the same time, Jesus grew tired. Jesus was God, but we see clearly that Jesus grew lonely. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Remember, the foundational lie of sin is that God is withholding Good, and therefore, life is found by throwing off these life-giving limitations God has given us to sustain us. But nowhere is the interaction of this belief and our temptation entering into these sins more clear than in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus is drawn by the Spirit into the desert to be tested, to be tempted. It says the tempter called to him and said, if you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Can you hear that there? He's saying, where you are right now, as you are, there's not enough. God is withholding good from you. And if you want life, you have to take it yourself. And then Satan, he, he raises the stakes. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, you hear it. Where you are, as you are, there is not enough. God is withholding good from you. And if you want life, if you want what life has promised, you have to take hold of it for yourself. Finally, even higher stakes. It says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and you worship me. Once again, where you are, as you are, there is not enough. And God is withholding good from you. And if, so if you want that life, if you want what he is withholding from you, you've got to take hold of it yourself. You have to. In every single temptation question we see here, Satan is saying there is not enough to go around. And if there was enough to go around, God would have provided it. So, because He hasn't, God's obviously holding back from you. And if you want to have what you need, you have to step outside these limitations that you have been placed within. What does Jesus do every time? He quotes Scripture to Satan. He he trusts the power and provision of God. And in rejecting the temptations of the enemy. Luke 4 says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So in entering even these deep limitations in the midst of a desert with nothing at all, he walks out in power, in power, out of limitations. Jesus embraced these limits, and he found life and found flourishing and not Death. God, once again, just like in Genesis 2 and 1, enters into our limitations, not because he has need, but to model for you and I the way forward, to model for you and I the way of life as it was meant to be, what flourishing truly is. So, if that's true of Jesus, we have to ask, as a a church family, could that be true for us? Could the life-giving limitations we've been given and called to enter actually be where the life we're looking for has been all along? Choosing Sabbath rest. This is just one life-giving limitation we choose in order to find flourishing. I don't know how many of you uh, followed Alicia's challenge this week and just actually took time Sabbath and rest. I hope you did and I hope you saw the fruit of that, saw the fruit of restoring and renewal in the midst of this rest. Because what we find, God is not a God of scarcity, he is a God of abundance. And when we rest, we are trusting in his abundance that he is actually not withholding our good, that he is actually not holding back. There is always abundance with God, and so there's always enough to go around. So God gives us these limits then, out of his commitment for our good. Not withholding good from us, but because he is so committed to the fullness of our life, to abundance in our life that he calls us into limitations. In other words, God gives us the gift of not having to be God. That is a gift. I want to say that again because this is something I'm kind of wrestling with even this week walking through this. God has given you and given me the gift of not having to be God. We don't have to be meaning day after day year after year i know that i only have so much time i only have you and i only have so much energy right you and i only have so much finances we only have so much resources my life your life it's filled with limitations. And what the Scriptures make clear for us here today is that that's not bad news. That's not a lack of freedom. Our limitations, as we see clearly in Scripture, are good news. Because that's the place where we enter into and find life. Another word for this is the word margin. Dr. Richard Swenson, he writes about this in his book called Margin. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It is the amount allowed beyond that which is needed. It is something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion. The space between breathing freely and suffocating. What he's telling us is that life is found in these margins. Margin are the limits that we Choose in order to experience more of the freedom we have been promised not less of it And I I know what this feels like I bet you know what it feels like to live within a lack of margin How many of you you don't have to raise your hand because even if you didn't raise your hand you'd be lying How many of you know what it feels like to live with a lack of margin in your life? I know what it feels like To work so many weeks so many long hours without rest that it means that I don't have the physical, mental, spiritual energy to even want to go to home church. I know how one too many late nights creates a parent without energy that when something happens in place of love, you, you snap. And you keep adding more and more and more to your plate, more work, You have nothing left to give to the people that actually matter to you. When you fail to steward your your finances, your resources well, then you can't be as generous as you want to be. When you lack boundaries in an unhealthy relationship, and it leaves you depleted and cut off from the friends that you know you actually need. When your desire to avoid pain... And feel good it flowers maybe into an addictive behavior when you're ignoring warning signs in your body growing anxious and it leaves you sick and exhausted so often my friends the enemy's strategy is really simple if he can get us to ignore God's life-giving limitations if he can get us to a place of depletion if he can get us to a place of exhaustion of addiction the battle is pretty much already won we're doing his job for him and all of this though we're we're facing the same temptation that Jesus does in the wilderness where you are as you are there's not enough god is withholding good from you and so if you want life if you really want life you have to take hold of it for yourself But the good news today, that's the bad news, the good news is that we don't have to live in a cycle of scarcity anymore. We don't have to live in a constant struggle with exhaustion. On the outside, sometimes abundance begins with what looks like scarcity. There's a, a scene in John 15 where Jesus is talking about this, He's talking about the pruning work of the Father. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a pruned grapevine before, but here's a picture on the screen here. It looks downright barren. That that looks dead. That just straight up looks dead. But it's not, because what the gardener has done has removed, he has removed everything that allows the fruit itself to maximize its potential. Remove the the leaves that often make it look alive and flourishing, but they're actually robbing the fruit of nourishment and sunlight. Sometimes he's cutting back the very things that on the surface look like flourishing but what's being created in the midst of this is the opportunity for more fruit there are seasons of our lives where on the outside looking in things look barren things have been cut back compared to people around us compared to our surroundings we may look and feel lifeless but what we see in the scriptures here is that the father's actually in these moments choosing abundance for us choosing less in order that we may produce more the father's entering our lives into the process of bearing more fruit so when pruning begins when it starts to feel like. I'm taking upon less and not more. Then I'm starting to feel limitations. And that feels less like the freedom I have known before. I can trust, though, that God is actually a God of abundance. That when he is pruning, he's pruning in order that more fruit may be born in my life. And my only role in this matter is what the scriptures say here is to simply abide. Jesus continues here in John 15. He says, abide in me. And I in you. and you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears fruit, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing the word here in the greek for abide is meno it means to remain to not depart to be held to be kept continually to continue to be in it sounds like a passive word to abide like the dude and big lebowski but that's not actually what the word is it's a it's an active it's an active active word you are intentionally remaining in god abiding is not a one-time choice it is a continual choosing to grow our roots down deep into the loving presence of god continually choosing choosing to grow those roots as deep as we can in the presence of god trusting that it is not our role to bear fruit it is our role to abide and in abiding in growing deep into the source itself god is actually bearing fruit Even when I cannot see it. And sometimes I know that looks like less. And in America, less seems like worse. But sometimes God is actually cultivating the fullness of life in less in ways that he cannot cultivate in more. And so if that's true, I can rest. I can rest. The truth is, is that a busy and exhausted and and overworked and and, and restless life, it's, it's a life that ultimately, if we dug beneath the surface, it's a life that believes that God will withhold from me if I choose less. If I take steps back, if I say no, if I rest, then God will not provide. God will withhold good. If I say no, he will withhold good. If I slow down, he will withhold good. But it's actually in the process of slowing ourselves down that that more becomes actually visible. One of the best books I've read in the last five years, a book called Emotionally Healthy Leader, Pete Scazzaro, he writes that bearing fruit requires slowing down enough to give Jesus direct access to every aspect of our lives. Just because God has access to everything that is true about us does not mean that God has access to us. I'm going to say that again because that's huge. Just because God has access to everything that is true about us does not mean that God has access to us. Loving union is an act of surrender. God giving God complete access, and we can't do that in a hurry. We must be humbly accessible. The door of our hearts continually open to him. Jesus doesn't force that on us. It's something that only we can do. And what we do in this, what we do in this is we choose to intentionally abide. I've learned over the years that one of the reasons I don't slow down is because when I slow down, I don't like what I see. I don't like to look at reality. Going fast, being busy, keeps me from having to actually deal with reality. Keeps me from having to actually look with what's actually happening in my own soul. So busyness is a lot easier than clarity. I'm afraid that if I slow down long enough, I'll see how exhausted I really am. I'm afraid if I slow down long enough, I'll be ashamed of how I've let my priorities fail me, how I've let them fall by the wayside. When I slow down, I'll see myself, my schedule, my budget, my relationships, my priorities for what they actually are. And that's a hard look in the mirror sometimes. I think that may be the biggest lesson of the pandemic, at least for me, I don't know about for you, was that when we were forced to slow down, you could not avoid yourself, right? You could not avoid you during that part of the pandemic. We saw what was really happening around us. But one of the axioms we say a lot around here is that God only meets us in reality. God will not meet the ideal version of you. God's not there. God meets you where you actually are, as you are. And the good news is that when we talk about these things of abundance and rest and limitations, that God is not offering these things from a place of shame, saying, gosh, look at these awful, ugly, American, busy people. He's offering grace. He's offering life. He's, he's, it's a welcoming invitation into the life that He has called us to. Now, I wasn't, really, wasn't going to talk about this, and just briefly as we close, when we were praying back there, I, thinking about limitations, just feel led to share this, like, think about our limitations in terms of our trust in God. One of the beauties of community, one of the beauties of being a church body, and not just a service that gathers on Sunday, one of the benefits of this is that we gather in our limitations. Like, we, in order to really be in community, I have to be aware that I am not enough. But that that's freedom, because I know that in my limitations, God has already provided strength in the form of the body. That when I am weak, God has already had strength prepared. And so when we gather together in these places like this, it's not just to sit here and take in information. When we gather in our home churches or in smaller groups to talk about what God is doing in our lives, it's not because that's just something we do. It's an act of trust and saying, I bring you my limitations. You bring me your limitations. And together in this church family, we form one whole body. We are just one piece of a larger puzzle of what God is putting together. So I don't have to be the whole picture because I know God's building the whole picture and I'm just one part of it. And that's an act of trust Being a part of a church, saying, I am okay not being enough. And it's an an act of trust Is saying, even though I have weaknesses, I have things that are not. Listen, as a pastor, I have weaknesses. Thank you for not saying amen. I did not hear an amen. That was good. I expected that one. They must be gone this week. But in my weaknesses, you have strengths. In Hannah's weaknesses, she doesn't have very many, But in her weaknesses, you have strengths. And what God is building together in what He has limited in us is a body. And so that's what I want to pray for as we go. I want to to, skip that last slide. I want to pray for what I believe God is doing. We were in there in Jessica was saying, I, I sense God was, is about to do something big in, in our community, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I know. Me too. Yes, I'm in this. And, and I think, I really sense that's part of it. That God's re renewing, restoring kind of our understanding of what it means to be a body and not just a service. Be a body and not just a small group. Be a body and not just a home church or an outreach program. We are The body of Christ. So Father, I thank you for the gift of limitations. I thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And this weekend, Lord, as as we process these things, I know sometimes conviction can feel like condemnation. But Lord, it's not condemnation when it's coming from your spirit. You're inviting us into life. And so in that, Lord, would you give us the courage to take an honest look this week even at our schedules, at our budgets, at our social calendars. God, give us courage to say no to some things so that we can say a greater yes to what gives life, to what flourishes. Lord, I know there's some things that we want to do, that we long to do, that we believe it's even right to do, that that we haven't got a chance to do yet because we're worn out. So Lord, would you rewire our individual and communal hearts into being a people who can abide in you, Jesus, and that in that you would make us fruitful. I pray this in the name of Jesus. We're going to take communion together. We have elements here on the column back there.